Over the last three years, these podcasts have been delving into a range of topics regarding intergenerational unfairness. And we've provided a platform for dozens of people from all walks of life to have a voice. So, for our season finale, it seems fitting to take us back to where we first started and talk to the people who started it all. I'm joined by the three co-founders of the Intergenerational Foundation, Liz Emerson, Angus Hanton and Ashley Seagar, to look back at the work of IF, but also to look forward and to discuss what challenges they may face in the future. What if? What if? What if? What if? A monthly podcast series in partnership with IF, the Intergenerational Foundation. So over the last decade, IF has done, I think, some incredible work and research into intergenerational issues. But I think for me, one of the biggest successes has been putting the topic out into the open. Before IF's work, if we're looking like, you know, over a decade ago, I don't really think that we used to analyse things through a generational lens or an intergenerational lens. Um, and I think now it's becoming more of a widespread concept. Could you maybe talk me through um, some of the biggest achievements of IF's work over the last decade? I think you're absolutely right, Elisa. Um, when we started back in 2010, the, the concept of intergenerational fairness wasn't really on any policymakers' agenda. Um, so what we've tried to do over more than a decade of working is to bring that lens to the fore. Um, if you do a Google search of intergenerational fairness as a name, you'll see that in 2010 hardly appeared. Um, now it's in nearly every single conversation um, but, uh, mentioned by policymakers of every single political party because the thing is intergenerational fairness crosses all party lines. Um, I think something that you do have to be careful with um, is causing intergenerational divisions um, because obviously if you're pioneering for intergenerational fairness a lot of the time we do have to elevate the younger generation so do you find it difficult to engage the elder generations in your work? I think the older generations really get it uh, at least a lot of them do particularly the baby boomers who've, who've done so well in property terms and pension terms um, they they understand it but they often understand it through their children they see what a struggle their children have and they think I mean it wasn't like that for us Mm. Yes, and the bank of mum and dad, which now, you know, is the what people refer to when parents lend their their children money for a property or something, that will be the sixth largest bank in Britain now. The amount that's <laughs> the amount that's lent by the bank of mum and dad. So I think Angus is quite right that a lot of people do get it. And I, I think it's interesting. People get it within their own families, as Angus has said, but what they're not getting is it in terms of the wider welfare state and how government spending and an idea of entitlement is 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 perceived um, by older generations um, towards young people, if that makes sense. We know as an organisation because we've done the research. So, for example, the government government spending on ch the gap between government spending on children and older people has doubled, um, has widened over the last 20 years. So it's all very well thinking about your kids and your grandkids when you're sitting around the kitchen table, but how society as a whole is treating different generations is really, really important. Do you ever have those from 
like the baby boomer generation who have benefited with great pensions, great salaries, being able to buy a house and turn around, have they turned around and gone, well, we were just a product or we benefited because of just, we all benefited, if that makes sense. I yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the David Willits argument. That argument is that because they were part of a larger cohort, mm. so the baby boomers born between 1945 and 1965 around uh, those dates, um, you know, the welfare state has followed them through their life. Exactly. So, for example, they had to have more school places. They've had to have more maternity units because they were giving birth to, to children. So, so, so the welfare state, they've been very lucky. And the argument is a larger cohort gets more welfare spending. Yeah. That's great for them. The problem is there are smaller generations coming behind them at the same time as that generation is going to be living longer, living longer unwell. And here's the thing, they weren't actually actually contributing enough in terms of their own taxation towards their own old ages. Absolutely. And this and is where intergenerational fairness comes in. Thinking about the conflict between the generations, we absolutely are not trying to create the sort of conflict where young people think they should trip up an old lady. We absolutely care about older people, particularly poor older people, and want them to be looked after. But there really is a conflict, a conflict of economic interest, and that's what we want to highlight. And there, the many in the older generation are taking advantage of the, oh, don't create any conflict. They're taking advantage of that sentiment to, to sort of brush over and push under the carpet. They're, the fact that they've done so well at the expense of younger people. Yes, and there's still a, a failure to recognise in the political class of whichever party of how bad this problem is. So it, often the problem is expressed in terms of young people not being able to afford housing. So they just say, oh yeah, we've got to build more housing. But it's much more fundamental than that. The gap is widening, as Liz said earlier. Of course we worry that we don't want to be seen to be ages to older people, but the amount of vitriol that has come out from older generations to young people that somehow if they, you know, the classic, um, the classic argument, if they only had one less, if they only bought one less latte or didn't buy the avocado on toast, somehow they'd be able to buy a house. I mean, that's a ridiculous thing to say and it completely... Um, it completely ignores the fact that we have gone through a decade where in nine out of ten policy areas the position of young people has either stagnated or declined. Don't we want our kids to have better prospects um, than our generation did? Um, I think one thing that's quite interesting is just looking across all 15 episodes from the last three years. Um, we've touched upon a whole different range of topics but they've also followed a real-time journey of a young person going through the education system, leaving it, going into employment and also thinking about wider issues. And we started off by, you know, one of our first episodes was what if we had no tuition fees? Then we were looking at the mental health of students. Then we were looking at how COVID had impacted um, those in universities and those in you know lower education. Um, and then you can really follow my journey as I leave education and then start realising hang on, what about employment? What about housing? What about cladding as an issue? That was a very poignant episode that we put out. Um, and then looking at wider issues like the environment. And we had a lovely um, episode on trains instead of planes um, following our report. And I think underlying all of those episodes is really this big idea of the mental health of young people and how 
that's been negatively impacted and often I think that that gets pushed aside as an issue because it's not really a tangible issue it's a it's a mental issue wow actually so Elisa it's mental health awareness week this week um, and we've actually written some articles um, on the website and the, and the topic of the week is about anxiety um, and the Mental Health Foundation has this week just uh, released some statistics and it's shocking a third of 18 to 25 year olds are experiencing anxiety at the moment and these are kids that have been educated through the pandemic who um, weren't allowed to leave their homes who were shutting their halls at university um, and who are dealing with all of these structural problems that we've been speaking about as part of this podcast. Um, but, that, but they're feeling more lonely than older generation. So we've looked back. Let's look ahead. Um, a lot of IF's work is centred upon a forward-looking policy approach. Um, so with this in mind, what do you think is the most pressing short-term issue facing the younger generations? So the emphasis on short-term. I think a short-term fix would be dealing with the damage that Brexit has done to the economy for younger generations. And it's heartening to hear that the Labour front bench would look into um, having a closer relationship with the EU should they get into government. For me, a big short-term issue is, is climate change and, and setting policy on the right course. I mean, you can't fix climate change overnight, but you can seriously affect policy. In a way, the problem is that there's nothing short-term. It just gets worse and worse, and there's no easy fix. But what the government really need to do is to, to talk about their priorities, to say we care about young people and we care about fairness between generations. And one way they could do that would be, there are a number of ways, but one way would be to say, actually, from now on, there's going to be no um, student debt. The government will pay for tertiary education and will have no interest on existing loans. They still have to be paid off the existing loans. We'll have no interest on them because it would, not only would it help directly, but it'd be a statement about their priorities. And it's easily affordable. If they can afford COVID, they can afford tuition, not to have tuition fees. One longer term issue that's really important is our ageing population and the government occasionally refer to it but they don't do enough about it. So the idea that they don't increase the state retirement age is just absurd. They've got to increase it in the way they've planned but actually they should increase it faster um, and they're, they're not taking account of the, the, the ageing population adequately. One of the things they should do is they should make sure that older people even after retirement are encouraged to work um, but they don't need to give them incentives like no um, like no national insurance they should be addressing the the aging population in more direct ways and housing is just one of them one of the one of the most misunderstood or ignored areas that we as a country need to address is our pensions system and our pension debt. Um, I think if you added up the liabilities for public sector pensions and the state pension, it comes to a bill of about five trillion, is it Angus, or is it seven trillion? Near seven, I think. It's a huge amount of money. Um, and it's a really difficult 
uncomfortable conversation that has to be had because we're asking people to pay towards a contribution system with an expectation of entitlement that is unaffordable. And the people that are going to be picking up the bill for that are our children and grandchildren because of the money that is sucked out of government spending in order to keep paying. It's great that people are living longer, don't get me wrong, Elisa. The problem is they're living longer unwell, as we've seen the number of over 50s that are leaving the labour market. Well, give that 10, 15 years and they're going to be pension poor. And the bill for that is going to fall on the shoulders of younger taxpayers again. So this is a massive long-term structural issue that has to be addressed. And when you say seven trillion is a lot of debt, pension, the pension debt, and it's a lot of money, it's not real money, of course, it's just promises. It's promises to the older generation made on the checkbook, if that's still a thing, of the younger generation. Do you think intergenerationally we're facing a worse society in the UK? Listen, I've worked in this area for 12 years and I'm passionate about it and I do have to take myself to one side every now and again and go, Liz, it's a really hard fight, but we've got to keep fighting. So my fear is, yes, it's going to get worse. Yeah. My hope is that older generations will start thinking about how their vote, because remember, the politicians are elected, how their vote will affect their children and their grandchildren's prospects. So you mean they should be voting on behalf of their children and grandchildren rather than in their own personal short-term interests? Yes. I think things are getting worse. Uh, things are getting worse. Brexit, Covid, etc. have just been body blows uh, that um, will take quite a lot of recovering from and need affirmative action by government to change. We can't go on as we are. And, and in a way they're bound to keep getting worse for a while because there's so much that's in the system. That's the nature of the many of the intergenerational injustices. It's the build-up of debt and things get worse as that debt is, is being paid off. You're absolutely right, Angus. But we also have to be careful as a charity that stands up for younger and future generations that we give them some hope. And that is what younger and future generations desperately need. And that would be my wish for politicians, to, to not sit in silos and only worry about their specific departmental brief, but to look across the piece and to see how poorly young people have been serviced over the last decade and offer them real hope for the future. And one way to do that might be to have a moratorium of student debt. One way that might be is to say, no, we are going to support building on the green belt. We are going to have a massive housing building programme. We are going to, to take on the nimbys over wind farms and, 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 and move to a green transition more quickly. But what we want to do is we want to avoid young people having to make workarounds. I mean, young people are smart, and one of the workarounds they've decided is rather than owning things, we'll, we'll value experiences more highly. Another workaround they've established is that we can live more of their life online. Another one is many of them have emigrated, um, and so we should have tr be trying to avoid them having to resort to these ways of 
coping with the injustice that the older generation have, have heaped upon them. So, um, in America, uh, that a trend has been broken. Um, according to researchers, that as you age, you become more conservative with a capital C. And apparently amongst the millennial generation, they're not moving to the right. Um, and I'm wondering and I'm hoping that maybe there is going to be a political shock in this country. Um, that young people have become more politically engaged because they've seen their prospects damaged so much. And um, that might lead to real political change. I think it all boils down to getting more young people to vote and more young people to be in politics. Like we have our Grey Power report. We have an episode on the increasing youth quake within British politics. And I think if we have an upward trend in young people taking part in the political system, then hopefully that is some hope that that is some hope. Um, and my plea to younger people is is to act as a generation. I'm not saying that identity politics isn't important. I'm not saying that single issue activism isn't important, but you have to come together as a generation, which is what older generations have been doing at the ballot box for the last decade, to say we um, are worth you providing policies that are fair to our generation. Since the Intergenerational Foundation started 12 years ago, we've been through five Prime Ministers. We've been through David Cameron, uh, Theresa May, um, uh, Boris Johnson, uh, Liz Truss, uh, Rishi Sunak, and all of them have been really good at intergenerational fairness rhetoric, and very few, in fact none, have done very much about intergenerational fairness itself. So we hope that if, when there is a new Prime Minister, whoever it may be, um, it might be Keir Starmer, we hope that they'll actually do something um, and really focus on what's fair between generations. So I think a final way of looking ahead is acknowledging that there are new generations coming into existence. Um, I, I think that it's only been in the last couple of years that we've really started to talk about Gen Z um, replacing millennials, which was when we used to refer to younger generations. But I think people often forget that we have another generation. We've got Generation Alpha. And I had a little bit of a look, and roughly when we refer to Generation Alpha, it's those being born from 2010 onwards. So they're in their teens now, some of the eldest. So what do you think the main problems that Generation Alpha will face that kind of differentiate them from someone of my age, so Gen Z? I think they're going to be scarred by COVID. I think they're going to be scarred by their how their educations have been delayed. Um, I think they're going to be scarred in terms of socialising and well-being. That unless governments invest in um, in their educational catch-up. Um, we risk a generation that might fall behind over time. Um, my hope is that as with any other massive shock to societies like the Second World War, it's amazing how quickly society jumps back to normal, as we're seeing at the moment. Um, I worry about their mental health and anxiety levels. They are facing a climate crisis. Um, just this week, scientists have said that this year we will break 1.5 degrees warming. There are a lot of worries, Elisa. 
<laughs> there um, are. I think I think the point on schooling is a really important one. Um, that entire generation have had their school disrupted and formative years these are the transitions between primary to secondary or even between like year three and four these are big years when you're younger and they've been disrupted by coronavirus and uh, i guess our teachers have done an incredible job but you know education has been stunted so i think that is going to be one of the really big issues that that generation faces i think i think generation alpha their lives will be dominated by global warming and artificial intelligence and I think they will look back at some of the issues that we've faced and wonder how we could have dealt with them so poorly. They look back at intergenerational fairness and think how could we possibly have been so unkind to young people and so over generous to older people. A little bit like we look back on on smoking and wonder why why we allowed so much smoking in public places and so much advertising for it or we look back on LGBT rights and think how could we have been so uh, unfair on a huge section of society? That's how I think they'll, 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 they'll look back on their lives will be and how they'll look back on us. I, yeah, I think they will look back at a selfish generation. How could we have been so unkind towards the younger generations? Would Generation Alpha really look back and think that their elders were selfish? What do you think? Well, one thing is clear. Without raising awareness of intergenerational inequality and proactively campaigning for fairness, the situation will get worse for future generations. And this is where IF needs your help. Fighting for equality amongst current and future generations is something that we should all strive towards and is central to the work of IF. If any of the topics and discussion in this month's podcast have caught your attention, then head over to www.if.org.uk where IF have conducted incredible research into the topic. Or follow the Intergenerational Foundation on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram. Thank you for following the journey over the last three years. It's been a pleasure. Watch this space for even more exciting things to come out of the Intergenerational Foundation. What if? What if? What if? What if? A monthly podcast series in partnership with IF the Intergenerational Foundation.